appreciate it. Thank you very much. Can we clap it up for Pastor Edward as well? Very kind words. I think it's the first time I've been called a lovely man before. <laughs> you are lovely too as well. <laughs> um, well, I am honored and excited to be here. Um, I love young adults. Uh, my wife, Stacy, and I, we've been working with young adults for over a decade now. Um, like he said, we lead a conference called Don't Awaken Love Too Early. And it's simply about equipping young adults to pursue love and romance from destiny to wholeness instead of desperation and brokenness. Um, and for me, uh, this, this age group, uh, 18 to 25, is just an age group near and dear to my heart. Um, as I have a 21-year-old son, he's in college right now um, studying public health, health at Fullerton. So um, anytime I get a chance to speak into young adults, I'm always believing God. As I'm speaking into other young adults, Lord, you're sending somebody to speak into my young adult. Um, so again, I'm honored to be here. Thank you very much for having me. Um, how many of you guys ready for the word? You guys hungry for the word here? I can, I can. And the worship was awesome. Shout out to the worship team. I, man, I, I was enjoying it. I felt like y'all ended a little early, but no, I was like, <laughs> but I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you so much. I can tell that uh, this is a place that is hungry for the presence of God. And I can tell that you guys are well taught um, and you guys love Jesus here. So I'm going to go ahead and open up with my uh, introduction scripture. And before I share my sermon title, we're going to be opening up out of Proverbs 24, um, verses 3 through 4. Again, Proverbs 24, verses 3 through 4. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and read as you guys are um, getting there. It says, through skillful and godly wisdom, a house, a life, a home, a family is built. And by understanding, it is established on a sound and good foundation. And by knowledge, its rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. I want to bring your attention back to through skillful and godly wisdom, a house, a life, a home, a family is built. And my subject title for today is who you build your house with matters. Who you build your house with matters. So, Father, I just thank you for the opportunity to speak to House of Breads 1825. Holy Spirit, I decrease and I ask that you increase in and through me. Help me to speak with simplicity and clarity. I ask that you would help me to articulate myself in such a way that every person in here can receive the word on good grounds. In Jesus' name, amen. As I mentioned, the sermon topic is who you build your house with matters. Now that word house, if you're not familiar with it, it can mean tent, it can mean tabernacle, but how I would like to use it is also referring to generations. This is why we see, we, we see in Joshua, he says, as for me and my house, we're going to worship the Lord. Meaning, as for me and the generations, as for me and my children, as for as me and my family, we're going to worship the Lord. We also see the Bible refers to house uh, uh, describing a lineage, the house of David, the house of Saul. So to me, I, again, I want to use the word house meaning generations. Who you build your house with who you choose to do relationships, who you choose to love and who you choose to pursue or who you allow to pursue you, who you choose to open your heart to matters. And I think uh, next to choosing Jesus, one of the most important decisions that we'll ever make that can have one of the most significant impacts on our destiny is the person we choose to love and marry and build a life with. Can I get an amen? That is one of the most important things. Now, when it comes to relationships, relationships is how God advances his kingdom. If God wants to bless your life, guess what he's going to do it through? A relationship. 
if Satan wants to mess up your life, guess what he's going to do it through? A relationship. So we have to have relationship intelligence. We have to know the word of God for ourselves because just because somebody uh, can keep you good company doesn't mean that they're good for you. Just because somebody uh, uh, has good chemistry doesn't mean that they have the character to sustain the relationship. So uh, today I'm going to be talking about how to build a house, how to go through godly stages to build into a marriage. But again, uh, as I mentioned, I, I want to lay a, a foundation. Now, Psalms 127.1 says, unless the Lord builds a house, it says the, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. And I can even go, there's a principle. Unless God is in your relationship, your relationship is in vain. Unless you allow the Lord to speak into your relationship, unless you allow the word of God to take final authority in your relationship, you may be building with someone that God never gave you the blueprints to build with. We see that happening with Abraham, that God had a covenant promise for Abraham. He had the blueprint of Isaac with his wife Sarah, but because he got a little impatient, he came out of God's blueprint and began to uh, take on the customs of the world. And wh what I mean by that is Abraham slept with his wife maidservant and gave birth to an Ishmael when God had a covenant promise, Isaac. What do I mean by that? If you don't know the Lord, if you don't build the way God wants you to build, like Abraham, you will invite unnecessary warfare and drama in your life that God never wanted you to go through. How many knows Abraham has some drama? He has some baby mama drama after, uh, after he messed with the wrong person. God had a covenant promise for, for him, and he had Ishmael. And Ishmael, uh, that, that situation brought warfare in the home that God never wanted Abraham to go through. Now, when it comes to relationships, this is very important. You, are, do you guys take notes in here? Is this a note take? Okay, I don't see people taking notes. I'm, I'm messing with y'all. <laughs> I'm a copious note taker. I'll be taking all kind of notes. Um, but when it comes to relationships, we build in stages and we arrive in phases. We build in the stage of friendship and we qualify that relationship and we arrive in the phase of boyfriend and girlfriend. We build in the stage of boyfriend and girlfriend, and we qualify that they're a good boyfriend or girlfriend, then we arrive in the stage of fiancé. Shout out to the, to the couple right here that's going to get married soon. <laughs> When's the date? When's the, uh, amen. A, <laughs> a to the man. <laughs> uh, so me and my wife, uh, we, we courted um, for about 12 months. I didn't need two years to know that I want to marry that woman. I, I was ready. <laughs> and we consummated our marriage at our honeymoon. So, uh, you know, the, the, the engagement stage is, is a beautiful stage, but I was looking forward to the honeymoon stage as well. Amen. Um, but, but we build in stages and we arrive in phases. What happens when you don't build as a friendship and you arrive on a boyfriend and girlfriend level, you may give more intimacy than you should have provided because you didn't establish commitment. Intimacy should never precede commitment. In other words, for every level of intimacy, intimacy you see, whether it's physical, spiritual, or emotional intimacy, there needs to be an established commitment. 
Amen. Before I give you the title of calling you my boo or before we are boyfriend and girlfriend, we need to first establish some commitment before we are intimate on that level. Before we progress to fiance, then we need to establish some commitment. And before we get to covenant marriage where we solidify the union between man and a woman through sex that God blesses, I need to make sure that somebody is willing to say I do not once at the altar, but I do every single day. Because when I say I do to my wife, Stacy, I didn't just say it at the altar 13 years ago. I say I do every single day. And we need to make sure that people have the capacity to say I do every day and not just at the altar. You know, one of the things that I love to do, one of my favorite things to do is officiate weddings and do pre-engagement counseling. I love it. I love seeing two people together, but I also love breaking two people up who shouldn't be together either. <laughs> And, and what, 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 I, what I've learned is sometimes ladies, I'm going to pick on the guys as well, but ladies, I'm going to pick on you as well too. Sometimes the ladies think there is a magic wand or something magic that happens that if I can just get him to the altar and, and, and disregard all his character and all his poor behavior, but if I can just get this man to marry me, everything is going to go away once we get married. And there's nothing further from the truth. You're not marrying potential, you're marrying product. So if who he is is not lined up to the character, the nature, and the consistency of God while you're dating, he's not going to be that if you get him to the altar and you marry him. Can somebody say amen? All right. I'm going to be picking on the guys too, so don't think I'm just picking on the ladies. Um, so before we build with another person, the most important thing that we need to build with is the master builder, Jesus Christ. That we, we, I think there was a part of the song where it says, rain came and winds blew, but my house is built on you. The Bible says a wise man builds his house on the rock. A foolish man builds his house on the sand. Do you know why it is foolish to build your house on the sand? I'm sure you know it, but all sand is is particles of rock, bits and pieces of rocks. So when you build a relationship on bits and pieces of the truth of God, but not on the full counsel of God, you are building your relationship on sand. But if you build your relationship on the full counsel of Jesus Christ, on the word of God, you let your love be defined by his word. You let your, your, your ways be described and, 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 and consistent with his word. When you build a relationship, Relationship like that, you're building it on the rock. But if you said, you know what, I want a godly man, but I'm, 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 I'm willing to do this part of the word, but I'm not willing to do that part of the word. I'm willing to make him, make him be a, a man of honor, but I'm not willing to uh, check his character in these different areas. What happens is when you start being inconsistent in the truth that you stand on, you are building on a shaky foundation versus a solid foundation. Can I get an amen? Now, uh, King Solomon, who arguably is, apart from Jesus, probably the most wisest king and arguably wrote one of the most sexual and sensual books in the Bible, the Song of Solomon, he says something in which our conference, we got our theme from, Song of Solomon uh, chapter 8, verses 3 through 4 says, don't excite love, don't stir it up until the time is ripe and you're ready. Now, when he's saying don't stir up love, you have to understand the, the, the word love in the Bible has several different meanings. The love that he's talking about is not a storge love, which is a family love, which is the love that I have for my kids. 
it's not a philia, these are Greek words, a brotherly love that we have for one another. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's not even the agape love, the unconditional love of God. When King Solomon says, don't stir up love until you're ready, what he is talking about is the erotic romantic love. He's saying, don't stir up love until you're ready because you know what I believe? You have to encounter agape before you awaken eros. You got to be bonded to non-romantic love so that way you can know what love is. Because when you've not been bonded to non-romantic love, non-sexual love, when you have not yet been bonded to people who love you on a non-romantic level, you might misdiagnose love. You might be taking perfectly good friendships, romanticizing them, and what you thought you needed in romance, really you just needed in a good friend. Really you just needed in a good pastor. Really you just needed in community. Really you just needed it in a different tribe. But because you didn't have community, because you didn't heal from your mother or your father wounds, because you don't have a pastor or mentor to speak into your life, you reach for the most easiest love, which is eros. But really, you needed agape. Really, you needed storge. Really, you need philia. So now you keep reaching for eros, and you keep breaking your heart. When uh, the, you, you can't keep, you can't, God can't heal your heart when you keep giving it to the one that keeps breaking it. So I'm here to encourage you that before we pursue love on a romantic level, we need to encounter love, agape, and non-romantic love on a horizontal level or on a vertical level. So I need to have this vertical connection between me and God before I start having this horizontal connection. Amen? Now, when we pursue arrows before we encounter agape, we run the risk of mistaking thrills, excitement, impulsive behavior, and pursuing the forbidding as our, our feelings as loves. What if I told you your feelings is not always defining love? Love is a choice. Love is Jesus. And when my love for a person causes me to dishonor my body or dishonor God, it no longer is love. I'm going to say something. If it hurts, just say, ouch, it is now perversion. So I want to make sure that my love is always aligned up with the word of God. I want to make sure that my love is always uh, 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 lined up with the word. The Bible says God's, God is love. And scripture says that love is obedience to his word. So anytime somebody says they love me or anytime I say I love someone, but it's not in obedience to his word, then I'm letting my feelings get in the way. Now, can I give you uh, an insight into marriage? I love my wife. I've been faithful to her for 13 years. That is the the only woman that I want to marry. I love her so much, but I don't always feel in love with her. Well, I feel like y'all judging me right now. It got real quiet. <laughs> but I but here it is. Because she courted or dated me well in the friendship stage, the boyfriend and girlfriend stage, the fiance stage, and she saw that I don't make my decisions on how I feel. I make my decisions on my value, my character, and my convictions. She knows that no matter if I feel it or not, I'm still going to choose love. So whether I feel like loving my wife or not, I still choose it. Because one of the things that we have to understand as human beings who has a spirit, possesses a soul, and lives in a body. You are a spirit. You possess a soul, a mind, a will, an emotion, and it's placed in a body. God has redeemed your chooser to be more powerful than your filler. 
In other words, your ability to choose right is much more stronger than to feel your way to right. So instead of trying to feel your way to an emotion, you have to choose it first and the feelings will come back. We see in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus was praying, God, not my will, but your will be done. And the Bible says it was like great drops of blood sweating from him. And what you see is in one garden, Adam and Eve, who gave up their willpower to, to by hearkening to the enemy's voice, Jesus is now redeeming humanity's willpower back to surrendering to God's voice. And if Jesus was able to resist the temptation uh, of, of his feelings to honor and obey Jesus, uh, obey, obey God, then we have that same nature in us. Somebody says choose love. Somebody say choose love. So you don't have to feel your way. Now, the feelings are important. Amen. I, I, need, I need to feel some feelings too. But what I'm saying is feelings are not the tail. Because feelings are like weather. They, they, they change. The feelings change. But we have to know that when they change, I can align these feelings up and see if these feelings that I'm feeling, does it line up with the word of God? If it doesn't, then I'm going to choose the right way to love. Somebody say amen. So before romance, God did give us something. Before romance, God gave us something. This is super important because you might be ready for romance. But my question to you is, do you have these three things before we talk about romance? How many people in here want to know that? What, but before romance, God gave us something. All right, come back next week. <laughs> so before romance, God gave us three things. Number one, the Bible says that God made man in his image and in his likeness. Image, that means resemblance. And character. Before God brought Adam to Eve or before Eve was presented to Adam, there was an image that God gave humanity. And this is a principle for all of us. If you want to know God's original intent for humanity, you always read the first couple chapters of Genesis. We see God's original intent before sin came in and messed things up. So God gave humanity his image, his likeness, his resemblance. So before romance, you need to make sure that you resemble the image of God. Meaning, I'm not trying to create God in my own image. I'm allowing myself to develop into the image in which he created me to be in. The second thing we see that God gave humanity, once he said, let us create man in our image, he put humanity in the garden. In other words, he gave him his presence. See, before romance, God gave man his presence because there, can I, can I bust somebody's bubble in here? No one person can be everything to you. Now, Stacy is my everything, but she can't be everything to me, amen? She, she's human. She's flawed. I am her everything, but I can't be everything to her. So I put healthy amounts of pressure and weight on the relationship because I have an access to God. I have an access to the presence of patience. I have the access to loving kindness. I have access to all the virtues and characteristics of God. So if I'm not getting what I need over here, I don't have to look outside of my relationship. I don't have to look outside of my marriage. I don't have to look outside of, of what God's provided for me because I have image and now I know how to access God's presence. I know how to get what I need in his presence and not in somebody else's presence. Image and presence. And the last thing that God gave humanity before he introduced romance to humanity. Again, King Solomon said, don't awaken love until you're ready. He gave purpose. He gave humanity image, put them in the garden, which is his presence, and he told them to dress and to keep the garden. That was purpose. Fellas, how are you going to lead a lady when you don't even know your purpose? 
See, when purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable. If you don't know your purpose and why God created you and you don't know the vision and you don't have values and you don't have convictions for your own life, how is God really ready to bring his daughter to you so you can lead her? Where are you going to lead her if you don't know where you're going? And, 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 and I, I've seen marriages suffer depression because that man never found his purpose. He had a lid in his life. And although he got this ambitious woman who was full of vision, full of, she was resourceful. But because this man never knew his purpose, because this man never knew what God called him to do. He was a governor. He was a limitation to the marriage. And the marriage suffers. Our marriages suffer. But when a man knows who he is in Christ, when a man knows his purpose, when a man has vision, he is following Christ and as he's following Christ he's allowing his wife to grow and develop together because he knows where he's going so there's a path for his wife to follow and in that path of her following she's also being nurtured she's also being cultivated she's also being filled up in the things of God so ladies if that man don't know his purpose if he don't know what he's called to be if he's still trying to figure it out then you need to leave him alone I don't care how many six-packs he got. I don't care how good-looking he is. I don't care how fly he is because at some point, uh, you're going to need more than just physical attraction. You're going to need more than just uh, not feeling alone. And sometimes God may have you in a season of being alone so that he can introduce you to the paracletus, the Holy Spirit, the comforter, to show you that you are never alone. He will never leave you nor forsake you. You know, when I was in my season of being alone before I met Stacy. Um, I had a very promiscuous past. Lost my virginity, 7th, 8th grade. I was a teenage dad by the time I was 16 years old. And I made a lot of bad decisions with led me to being incarcerated. I got out, went back to Bible college, so forth and so on. Here I am at 23, 24 years old making a lot of bad decisions. And I realized God was asking for me. And I told the Lord, God, I'm going to give you my sexuality. I'm going to give you my body. I'm going to give you my mind. The next woman that I'm going to be with is going to be my wife. I didn't know that was a, a radical prayer that meant that I was going to be by myself for three years. But in those three years that I was by myself, in those three years that, that I was alone, God was showing me that I was never alone. In those three years, he was breaking soul ties. He was breaking things off of me to where if I smelt a certain perfume, if I watched a certain movie, I was tempted to go back to an unhealthy relationship. God was breaking and he was destroying and he was delivering me out of things that I kept going back to when I needed to medicate my pain. Because sometimes we use romance. Sometimes we use a relationship. Sometimes we use a boyfriend. Sometimes we use a girlfriend. Sometimes we use sex to medicate our pain and Jesus is the healer God said he sent his word to heal us and until you learn how to be alone for a season and tap into the healer Jesus and not try to tap into the false healing that the world offers you will find yourself making the same mistakes repeating the same decisions going around the same mountain when God has a promised land for you to step into when God has a relationship when God has a marriage when God has romance a healthy pace of romance for you. So until you learn how to be alone so that you can learn that you're not alone, you may not be ready to date. I asked myself this question, how do I know when I'm ready to date? I used to ask myself that. And the Holy Spirit told me, when you don't need to. I was like, oh gosh. <laughs> because need implies that there's something lacking in your life. I desire to date. I desire to be with someone. But you, what we have, to, I'm sure this is a well-taught church 
marriage is not taken into eternity. Just think about that. We bring our, we bring our own identity. We bring who we are into eternity. And God, God gave us marriage. He gave us this, this gift of relationships because he wanted us to procreate. He wanted us to have a companion. He wanted us to enjoy the gift of sex and, and, and to populate and bring dominion into this world. However, just because, excuse me, just because I'm not in a relationship doesn't mean I'm incomplete. Singleness is not an anomaly that needs to be figured out. It's a gift to be discovered. Oh, Jesus. Singleness is not an anomaly that needs to be fixed. It's not a Rubik's cube. Man, maybe you need to just change your hair a little bit. Maybe you need to lose some weight. Maybe you need to figure this out. Maybe, maybe your breath stain. Maybe you need to try a different toothpaste. It's not a Rubik's cube to figure out. Singleness is the gift to discover who you are in Christ so that God can present you healthy, whole, single, separate, unique to another healthy and whole person. Because if you take a single person that's healthy and whole who knows who they are in Jesus, and you take another single person that's healthy and whole, and they know who they are in Jesus, they're going to have a healthy and whole marriage. And if they have a healthy and whole marriage, they're going to have healthy and whole kids. And if they're going to have healthy and whole kids, those kids go into society, and now society becomes more healthy and whole. But if you take a trifling single who don't know who they are and marry another trifling person, their kids going to be trifling. <laughs> I was going to let y'all say it. <laughs> so this is why... We have to get to know Jesus first. One of the best things that could have ever happened to me, again, is being alone for a season so God can show me how to get my needs met from God, from the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I want to give you five stages as I have uh, about 10, 15 more minutes of building towards a godly marriage. Five stages of building towards a godly ma a marriage. Now, before I introduce us to stage number one, so, so what I'm doing is taking you through a stage of how we go from friendships to interested in being a little bit more than friends to dating to now dating to now figuring out are we going to go to the next. I, I, I want to help progressively bring you to uh, tangible, practical ways in which you can assess the relationship in a biblical way. Amen? Now, before I, let, let, me, let me give the analogy of this. Me, me and my wife, uh, over the last couple of years, we got into real estate. We bought a couple houses, and one of the houses that we bought uh, recently, uh, we went to go look at the model homes first. And before we made an investment of time, before we made an investment of energy, before we made an investment of real, uh, resources, I needed to make sure I was attracted to the home before I made an investment. I'm not going to be so spiritual and tell you, see, my mom used to say stuff like this, it don't matter if they're attracted, if you're attracted to them, you can learn to love them. Satan is a liar. I read in the Bible where it says, may your wife's breasts captivate you all the days of her life. So I told my mom, this seems like I'm supposed to be attracted to the person I'm going to marry, not learn to love them. In other words, let's not be so spiritual to think that we don't need to be attracted to the person that we're interested in building with. Because you're going to be seeing this person every day. You're going to be seeing this person in life. You need to be attracted to the person. And the God of the universe, you don't think he can give you somebody good looking who loves him? You think he's limited to saying, I'm going to give you somebody that loves me but is ugly and you need to just pick. No, I, I don't serve. You must serve a small God. My God is bigger than that. And my wife is gorgeous and she loves Jesus. 
and she's sharp. She graduated from, can I just brag on my wife a little bit? She graduated from Berkeley. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> she graduated from Berkeley. Then she went back to school and got her bachelor's in theology. Then she went back to school and got her master's in uh, uh, Christian counseling. And then she married an awesome man named Damien. <laughs> that was the pinnacle of her success right there. <laughs> So before we build a godly marriage, we need to be attracted to the person. Now, attraction happens on several levels. It could be, I, I was physically attracted to my wife before we started dating, but I also was just attracted to her presence, her spirit. I, I loved the way she worshiped. I loved the way she served. I loved the way she treated people, the least of these. I remember watching her serve, uh, we call them in between the blessings, the homeless community. And she would have, in this, see, I had some insecurities that I had to work out on. I remember one time it was this really good-looking dude who I wasn't dating my wife at the time, and he started talking to my wife. I was like, "Oh snap, he might pull her." I'm, I'm, I'm trying to put my, I'm trying to put my bid in. Who is this guy? And, and she just seemed like she was like really laughing at his jokes. And I'm like, "Dang God, I thought this was gonna be the one I could pursue." He seemed like he's like getting some really good time in with her. And then I saw my wife also serve in settings where she's loving on those in between the blessings, the homeless community. And the same energy that she was giving this good-looking guy, she was giving this homeless guy. And the Lord was like, it wasn't that she was interested in the good-looking guy. What she has is good character. And I was like, okay, so I still got action, Lord? <laughs> Am I still in it? <laughs> um, so uh, you got to be attracted to the person. I was attracted to my wife's. Uh, a presence. I was attracted to who she is. And I had one non-negotiable. And it was just like, Lord, can she have pretty feet, please? No corns. No. I know that's kind of shallow. <laughs> I was like, Lord, just, you know, that's, that's my non-negotiable. <laughs> and, and, and God will give you somebody. Uh, I, have, I have friends. I've officiated a few uh, athletes' weddings. And he was a professional athlete. She was a professional athlete. And they, that stuff didn't bother them. Both their toes looking like knuckles. Like, <laughs> it, they was like, it don't bother me. I'm not a feet person. I'm like, hey, I'm glad there's somebody for everybody. <laughs> so the, <laughs> y'all didn't know y'all was going to come to church and laugh a little bit. Uh, so the first stage once you realize that there's a level of attraction, whether there's physical, emotional, or spiritual attraction, is the first stage of building towards a godly marriage, it has to be a spiritual connection. God is not against interracial dating. He's against interfaith dating. Oh, somebody needs to hear that again. See, I come from a blended home. I'm, I'm half Italian and I'm half black. My mother is full black and my father was full Italian. And my Italian side actually disowned us because my, they, they didn't want my dad to mix. Uh, inter, they, he didn't, they didn't want interracial dating. They called black people mooglies. So that, that, that hurt me. But, however, as I got older and I realized that God is not against us interracially dating. He's just against interfaith dating. God is against you being a Christian Dating somebody that's an agnostic. God is against you being a Christian dating somebody that's a, a Buddhist. God is against you being a Christian dating somebody that, that gets their palm red. You know, I, I, when people be like, what's your sign? Are you a Libra? Are you a Capricorn? Are you a Scorpio? I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm the blood of Jesus. That's what I am. I'm a child of God. <laughs> yes. 
Don't, don't put me in a category of a sign. I'm not a Scorpio. I'm not, I'm not a Pisces. I'm not any of those things. I am a child of God. I'm not limited to astrology, and I don't need to read astrology for my future when I serve the one who knows my future from the beginning and the end. This is why they call him the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the El Shaddai, the Jehovah Shalom, the great I am. He is everything I need, and he is I am, so I don't got to look to other sources to figure out who I am. So before you can build towards a godly marriage, how is your spiritual connection together? Do you guys have a connection to God together? Is there, is there a faith? Is there a, a community that you both enjoy? Do you guys, uh, are, are, is it more about how well they keep you company or is it more about can they keep you, be a good covering? Let me explain that. Because just because somebody can keep company well doesn't mean they can cover you well. They might be good at watching movies with you. They may be good at doing uh, certain carnal things with you. Excuse me. I had some coffee. I'm feeling like what we was talking about in the back. <laughs> um, but covering is like, can they cover you in prayer? Can they cover you with a word? Can they cover you with encouragement? I didn't, I didn't want somebody who can just keep me good company. I wanted somebody who can cover me well. There has to be a spiritual connection. I needed to know that Stacy loved Jesus more than she loved me. That's the most important thing. Do they love God more than they love you? Because if they love God more than they love you, they're going to always love you well. They're going to always love you well. I'm going to be a little bit, no, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> I'm good. I learned as I got older. You know, you don't need to say everything. But what, I'm, uh, but, but what I do want to communicate and just really reiterate is when you find a man or you find a woman who loves God more than they love you, they're going to love you well. They're going to love you well. So that, so that needs to be there. There needs to be a spiritual connection. Um, now, we got to understand this, why the spiritual connection is important because the Bible says God is love. And love is not a temporal concept that derives its origin from man. Love is an eternal quality that originates with God. I'm going to say that again. Love is not a temporal concept that derives its origin from man. Love is an eternal quality that originates with God. The reason why I needed to make sure me and Stacy agreed on spiritual things, I, I actually, do you believe in tithing? Do you believe in a community? Do you believe in having a woman of a God that you submit to? And she was like, do you believe in having a man of God that you submit to? When I married, or when me and Stacy were just in the friend stage, she had a woman, she had a mentor, I had a mentor. She had a small group she went to, I had a small group we went to. We had a church we loved, we loved serving. There was a lot of connection around faith in spiritual things because this is important because we needed to make sure that our definition of love was deriving from the same source. Because if you think love is defined this way, if you think love is absolute and you don't think God's word is absolute or, or vice versa, if you think love is defined by certain things and it's not defined by the word of God, we're not going to be able to build past that. Amen. And I, I like this passage of scripture, Proverbs 27 and 20 says this, hell and destruction are never satisfied, so the desires of man. In other words, the desires of man is the heart of man. So where, where scripture says hell and destruction are never satisfied, so are the hearts of man. It takes a never satisfied heart to need a never ending God in order for love to flow. It takes a never satisfied heart. It, it's a perfect match, a never satisfied heart. 
connected to a never-ending God. And if we can both agree that our hearts are always wanting, it's always desiring, and we can fill it with the Lord, then we can learn how to be content with what God has given us. Now, I'm a very ambitious person, and, and, and I'm, I'm, I have vision, I have drive, and one of the things that I had to learn is the tension between being content and still contending. Oh, Jesus. There is a difference. Like, even in your single season, you got to learn how to be content in your singleness, but contend to be married one day. You got to learn how to be content in what God provided for you, but still contend for what he still has for you. And the only way you can do this, this is called house of bread, right? The only way you could do this is spend time with God so he can give you your daily bread. This is why God told the children of Israel, don't store up manna for tomorrow because it's going to spoil. Store up enough manna for today. In other words, God is saying, I don't want you to live off tomorrow, yesterday's word. I want you to live daily with me. So spiritual. The next thing, somebody say soul. So we need a spiritual connection. We're still at the friend stage, right? Once we realize that, man, we could do God together. And once you, once you observe, once you watch, once you interact, once you, like, uh, just let time reveal certain things, now you want to see if there's a soul connection. What do I mean by that? I mentioned earlier that mind, will, and emotion and personality. That's what your soul is. It, it's your mind, it's your will, and it's your emotion and your personality. The soul means that you collect on levels of, uh, you, you connect on levels of interest, intellect, and similarities. So me and Stacy just didn't do God well. We had similar intellectual things that we were compatible in. We, 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 we like certain things that, that, that our life can gel well with. We, we, uh, we both uh, enjoyed each other's personality, right? Like there's some people who like, oh, they're a believer and they love Jesus, but I really don't like their personality. But because they love Jesus, I'm going to give them a chance. You're going to realize that it's, they're going to start making you not like Jesus. <laughs> But you got to find compatibility on an emotional level. You got to find compatibility on an intellectual level. I knew that I needed my mind stimulated. I needed a smart woman. I needed a woman that can talk politics. I needed a woman that can talk about sports. I needed a woman that can go Bible study with me. I needed somebody that knew how to talk about investments. That was how I was wired. And God gave me somebody that loved him more but has similar uh, interests. And that means that there is a soul connection. So there's a spiritual connection and there's a soul connection. Now, the spiritual connection, you're friends. The soul connection is I'm friends, but now I'm interested in you. Once I realize, okay, we, we, got, we got a lot in common. I, I'm, I'm beyond just seeing you as my sister in Christ. I, I want to date you now. So we go past the soul level. And, and this level is very important because at this level, the human soul hungers for attachment. So if you are not bonded to love and you find somebody that is a potential for love, you have to make sure that you don't quickly form a relationship. Because quickly formed relationships are often short-lived. What you compromise to get, you'll eventually lose. Oftentimes, there is a person that loves the Lord, kind of figuring out if there's some similar uh, characteristics and compatibility, and we rush into this stage. Only to realize that we rushed into the stage because we were struggling with loneliness. We were struggling with sexual frustration. We were struggling with eagerness. We were struggling with, like, uh, uh, emotional neediness. So we, we expedited this person because we thought they were our soulmate. A term that, that is not biblical, soulmate. You know what I realized? They can't be your soulmate if they never died for your soul. Jesus is my soulmate, 
I give my heart to Jesus, and Jesus introduced me to someone else that died. He died for their soul, Stacy. And then he says that you know that I'm your soulmate. You know that I'm your soulmate, and therefore I'm going to bring the two together to become one in this process. So it's very, very important that we don't pick up words that, that are not biblical uh, soulmate. That, that word soulmate also, uh, also originates from, uh, I think it's like uh, Egyptian Greek mythology uh, with one original soul, but we're split into supposedly for doing something offensive to the gods, after which the newly separated humans forever wander the earth and search for their long lost soulmate. You are not incomplete. Stacy doesn't complete me at all. I was complete in Jesus. I don't complete her at all. She is complete in Jesus, but what she does do is compliment me well. You're not looking for completeness. You're looking for compliment. Does she compliment you? Does he compliment you? Amen? So the next stage after you got the spiritual and soul is now, uh, as I'm, I'm wrapping it up, can I get some keys? Keys, yep, yep. Oh, that's, when you get the keys, that's when you know the pastor is ending, when the music is playing. <laughs> so I'm letting you go. I got a soft landing coming. Uh, the next stage is character. Um, what we have to understand about dating, dating is simply setting aside recreational time to get to know someone's character to discern if they have the potential to be a life partner. See, as a Christian, we don't date for fun. We date with the intentions of marriage. There were, there were guys that would try to take Stacy on dates, and because she didn't see them as a potential husband, she wouldn't go on dates with them. And she was attracted to them. There were girls that I was attracted to that, that I wouldn't go date on dates with because I knew at the end of the day I didn't see them as a potential spouse. So why go on a date with them, have all this fun, knowing that it ain't going to go nowhere, and then knowing that it ain't going to go nowhere, I might settle for somebody that God never wanted me to be with. So dating is simply setting aside recreational time to get to know a person's character to discern if they can be a life partner. You can't date wrong and marry right. So we're, we're dating to discern people's character. That's why if, if you're in a relationship and it's fresh and it's new, it, it's, it's, you know, you want to see how they are in community. You want to see how they are in their family environment. You, you want to go on dates where you can see not the version of them that they're showing, but their most authentic, transparent version. And it's so important that we present who we really are to the person we think God is bringing to us because that is the telltale sign that God is bringing them to us. One of the hardest things to do was sit up here and tell my wife all of my issues, all of my struggles, all of my bad decisions, and kind of like, ah, she going to leave me? But I had to trust that if God brought this woman who is not just compatible but suitable. See, the world looks for compatibility but God is bringing somebody that's suitable. Suitable means they are tailor fit for your purpose and the, uh, your destiny. They, they, uh, uh, they complement the plan and purpose that God has for your life. And after sharing some really hard things, she didn't flinch. She was like, I'm not intimidated about that. In fact, I see the man that God has called you to be. And the same thing with her. I wasn't intimidated with her past. I wasn't intimidated with some of her bad decisions. In fact, I felt God had called me to be a tangible, uh, a, a tangible presence to show the love of God towards her. That God wanted to use me as a vessel as I lay down my life for my wife, as Christ laid down his life for his church. That in the dying to myself, there was going to be healing that God can bring to my wife, which eventually is now presented back to me, which is eventually pre presented back to the world. So as I die to myself, 
Stacy comes alive. And when she comes alive, I come alive. And when I come alive, our marriage comes alive. And when our marriage comes alive, our kids come alive. One of the things that our kids love to do, they always say, ew, they love seeing us be affectionate towards one another. Because they come up, they, they, they feel, they, they see the security. They see the safety of mommy and dad being affectionate. And one of the things that I learned that I didn't really get this when growing up, but men in here, we need to be able to see women beyond just mothers and sisters. We need to see them as partners, and we need to see them as lovers as well. See, I grew up in a home where my mother was eight years older than my dad. Ooh, dang. <laughs> so she kind of like was mama to my dad still, sister to my dad. So I always saw women in the role as mama or sister. And then when Stacy came into my life, she became companion, partner, and lover. And now I'm introducing to my sons that women are more than just mama and sister. They are partners and lovers. This is how God wants us to show our men that women are a gift. They're not subservient to us. She doesn't, my wife doesn't submit to me because I'm the man. In fact, anytime you have to say you are the man to get a woman to submit, you have poor leadership. I don't ever have to say, Stacy, I'm the man. Shut up, girl. <laughs> I died in myself. I sacrifice, and the sacrifice, the dying of myself, makes me qualified for her to want to follow me. Before you talk about who you are in the relationship with your title, ask yourself, have you died to yourself? Because the title of husband, the title of father, the title of leader means that you are a servant in those areas. And the last two things is core values. As we discerned each other's character, we also started to realize we have the same core values. That she felt called to be a pastor. I felt called to be a pastor. Sometimes people feel called to be live in Sacramento and another person feels called to uh, be a missionary. You might have all three stages. You might have good spiritual connection, good soul connection, good character. But if your life is going in different directions, you don't want to make a permanent decision in a layover relationships. In other words, if I have a destination and I'm traveling out of Sacramento to Canada, uh, and then Stacy has, a, or another woman has a destination traveling out of uh, uh, Sacramento to another place, and we, we have a layover. And, and, and you ever had a layover in an airport? What I'm trying to say is you don't want to make a permanent decision in a layover relationship. Meaning God was trying to introduce to you that there are a good man, there is a good woman, and you keep it in the friend stage, but your lives are going in two different directions, and it's not meaning that I need to make this a permanent relationship. God was trying to show me that there are good men, there are good women out there. And the last thing that we need is destiny. Do you share rhythm? Are your lives growing in the same direction? We were never supposed to build a long-term relationship again in layover moments. Stand to your feet. I've already taken enough time. I want to just pray over you. I just want to keep it brief and simple. I want to pray the wisdom of God over you. One of the things that I've learned in my journey going on 13 years of marriage, uh, leading young adults and, and helping uh, have conversations and what, we what we've talked about, passion needs parameters. Romance needs responsibility. Intimacy should be met with commitment and sex was made for covenant. And I want to make sure and pray that God gives you the wisdom to set the boundaries. I could have went a little bit deeper in a lot of these different areas, but I believe the Holy Spirit said what he needed to say to you guys. So, Father.